Sustainability in architecture shouldn't just be about, you know, the materials. We as designers, how we go to places, that's important. How, where we buy our energy. There's, there's so many facets to sustainability. That's Ed Murray, an associate at Dexter Moren Associates, who is our special guest this week to help us explore fluid and sculptural architecture. Design and architecture enthusiasts, wherever you are and however you are listening, welcome to DesignPod with me, Hamish Kilburn, and my co-host, interior designer, Harriet Ford. We haven't actually interviewed too many architects in this podcast no, series yet. So our next guest is in fact an architect. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Ed Murray is an associate, Dex Moran Associates. We've spent a lot of time in, in this podcast series really looking at designers that have kind of done their own thing, branched off, mm-hmm. created their own identity. But within this episode, which is really sort of inspired by fluid design, mm. we're going to look at studio life really yeah from from the eyes yeah of yeah he's been there for some time and uh, obviously grown within the business totally and um and one of the projects that ed's just finished is um the west in london um it, it's it's a big statement at the moment for for brands to launch in new territories i think it's become i don't know if it's just me but for me it's like it's new um it's got this new meaning to it mm. since the pandemic it's like mm. this new sort of like we have arrived yes exactly it's, it's so i think everyone needs to, to make their mark again because we've all recalibrated since the pandemic and uh, emerging out again um and saying who we are mm. or they're saying who they are mm. yeah as brands this series of Design Pod is sponsored by Minotti London, the UK home of the Italian furniture brands that put stylish luxury into unmatched comfort. So welcome Ed to the podcast. And so it's just weeks since the Western um, has opened its first hotel in London. So we decided to craft this episode around fluid design because of the design scheme for that hotel, but also to really understand your fluid journey in design and architecture. See what we did there. <laughs> So how did it all start out in your career? What what sort of line did you go down? Um, so I trained as an architect um, doing my part one uh, in Brighton. Uh, then uh, in my kind of post part one year out, uh, I got a job at DMA. Uh, at that point in time, didn't know an awful lot about uh, hotel design or hospitality architecture. Um, so sort of fell into it really. But, um, but since then... Uh, you know, since then made a career out of it and uh, find myself 15 years later um, associate at DMA having having worked through the through the ranks. And, and how much has um, Dexamer and Associates changed over the years? Uh, hugely since since I started. Um, so back in 2007, we were a team of probably less than 30 with a very small ID team. Uh, now this year we're just over 70 with 15 ID um, so, so a big difference, uh, mm. you know, kind of 30, you know, everyone, you know, exactly everyone by name and, and exactly what everyone's doing. And at 70, you still know everybody, but not quite as well. And, and there's so much more going on. Yeah, totally. Mm. I mean, Harriet and I talk extensively about designers going from studio live to setting up on their own. We haven't really focused, I don't think on, on designers who are, are in a studio, but doing amazing things. Is it difficult mm. to get your personality across in those projects or to get things across that, you know, personally that you think are really good, but the client may not appreciate? Um, I think I feel really fortunate to, to work with a lot of clients who, who are very trusting um, and, you know, they, you know, hire, hire hospitality specialist architects such as ourselves um, to, to, and they allow us, you know, allow us that kind of flexibility to, to bring our own, our own personality and our own ideas to the, to the work. 
And talking about like specifically project-wise, um, the Western is is a groundbreaking project. I mean, we've recently just done the story on on the the fluidity of of that um, of that uh, design scheme that we really wanted to celebrate that we, we noticed. Um, but it's a project that you've been working on for quite some time, right? Because I remember writing the initial story on on this is coming, and, and it's it's been how long years. ago was that? Four years? Uh, well, yeah, pandemic years. longer. So, so that job um, has been in our office for the last eleven years. Eleven years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, How has it changed from concept to completion? Uh, I think um, kind of. So many. We've held on to yes, absolutely. I think we've held on to a lot of a lot of the important things. Um, so the concept there, um, you know, right on the river, but also this big bridge that connects you back to the city. So um, kind of very fluid up the one end, um, you know, lots of references to, to the river and to water. And then at the other end, um, the city, and then the, the, that building is this big bridge. Uh, so across and the level, the public areas are the level four, the first layer of, level of the bridge. So that's where the kind of those two concepts meet. Um, but yeah, in terms of, uh, in terms of, kind of that project over that kind of length of time again you know like the client's been incredibly trusting in us over that period of time and there's been a lot of changes you know uh western initially owned by or initially starwood brand and then being taken over by marriott um and those guys having having you know different ideas about where to take the brand um so we, we've kind of moved with them through that process um, and yeah, it's it's now great that people can come and see it, and uh, I don't just have to explain what it's like. We can uh, get people there and to experience it for themselves. Mm. Is it bizarre not having that as a project anymore? Having it's, it's um, such a large part being of your, your baby. Journey, really. yeah, totally. Have you literally worked on it from the beginning? To uh, the... I did uh, work on it. Um, yeah, when I was doing my part two, yeah, um, and then I, I led it um, for the last about the last three years. Mm. Um, but it is, and we were talking about it um, recently. It's it's sort of like a cross between you know having a baby and also being in a relationship like you have to mm. sort of you have to pass it to somebody else and <laughs> yeah. that's a very hard thing yeah, suddenly yeah. just to stop and yeah. be like oh it's yours now i find the intensity of a team of people working together especially in the outside consultants yeah. you know you perform a strong bond yeah absolutely. And, and it does feel very weird after a while not to be not to be having that ongoing conversation that dialogue the whole time with definitely people. And um, I, there are still elements that we're, we're still dealing with. Um, so we're seeing, you know, still seeing the team. But yeah, absolutely. You know, there's working with those people day in, day out mm. over the course of three years um, to suddenly stop. Like mm. I said, is a, it's a very strange thing. It's a um, strange um, thing, but it's great also because if you get a great team that work well together, the client sees that and then they think, okay, well, we've already gone through the pain point of getting a group of people together who can actually communicate and work and bring something to fruition. So then we'll maybe think about another project and bringing the same team on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that happens all the way down. Um, about 80% of our business is repeat business. Yeah. So that that element is, is really important yeah. to us. You know, we, we've heaven and earth to to uh to you know make the client happy yeah and exactly. and the guest and and actually that you know that there's an interesting thing you know i've recently been been talking about how you know it's about guest experience but also you know, you've got a couple of hundred people working in a five-star hotel mm. and so it's about the, their experience of of the building as well absolutely and so often now i mean design and service merges together as, as one hospitality experience whereas yeah. i think a few years ago design was a little bit separate to service and mm. when, when you talk about luxury people would really think about the service whereas now i think it's it's kind of 
balanced up a bit. I think you can't have one without the other, no. actually. I think they complement so each other. Anymore, you know, you because can. you can walk into a beautiful interior and if it's serviced badly and rudely and inattentively, mm. it kills the experience. And vice yeah, versa. And vice versa, you know. Mm. So I think it's really important that the two are thought... And you're right, from an operational point of view, you know, the building has got to work for the people who are trying to create this whole experience for the guest. If they're pissed off, for a better word, because they can't do their job properly, yeah. then that's going to they're come out. Give that, they're not going to give that, give that extra yeah. service. Mm. Yeah. So it's no, it's really important. You're an associate at Dexmer and Associates. So what does that what does that mean? What's a day in the life? Um, so probably working on like three or four projects at any one time um, with kind of teams of, of varying sizes. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, lots, very varied, you know, I think that's that's one of the things I enjoy the most about it, you know, you can be standing on site in a hard hat and high-vis, uh, you know, talking to an engineer about concrete foundations, you know, in the morning, and then in the afternoon, you can be, you can be, um, you know, on site, a different site, talking about, you know, the human scale and the human experience of something, you know, it's so, so dramatically different um, yeah. every day. Um, and then, you know, I love, uh, I love working with a team and uh, mentoring team members and, and nurturing people and getting the best out of people. Yeah. And what projects are you working on at the moment that you're allowed to tell us? Uh, some that I'm not, but uh, <laughs> one that um, springs to mind, we're uh, working on a project called 15 Old Bailey, which um, was built in 1874 as the Spears and Pond Hotel, um, and it was the first hotel in London. Actually, I think first hotel to have electric lighting. Oh wow! Um, so that's quite a uh, quite. Were you the original fittings. Well, yeah, I think um, <laughs> I think, but that what a great um, what a great concept, you know, yeah. to to take on. Um, and so, yeah, You're working on the design and the architecture. Uh, yeah, architecture and interiors. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we're looking forward to getting that one on site and, um, that'll open, uh, next year. Mm. Wow. Is it a, um, always a benefit having the interior design and the architecture within one studio or do you prefer um, the projects where you collaborate with an interior designer externally? I think, um, it's great obviously to work within one, with an umbrella organization. You know, the great thing about it is, is all of that kind of coordination and communication yeah. happens within within our office mm. um so that kind of cuts out any uh any communication and you know communication getting awry as they sometimes do um but also you know we we don't solely do you know it's they're not mutually exclusive we absolutely work as architects with with other interior designers mm. um yeah and you were um documented in the Britlist this year uh the Britlist 2021 mm. so that that references the top 25 designers architects and hoteliers. Um, obviously, that was just before the completion of the Westin, and we've got more to, to, to look at moving forward. Um, what what is what does British architecture mean to you, and why is it such a why is Britain such a, um, a hotspot for design and architecture, in your opinion? Um, so that's a good good one. I think um, you know, just you know, Britain British architecture and design, you know, is this real stellar. You know, set out. You know, it's really highly regarded. So I think, um, you know, to to be to be part of that and considered, you know, amongst so many esteemed industry colleagues, uh, was was amazing. Um, but yeah, I think you know that, that for, for us, you know, we kind of, uh, yeah, tr well well trusted and respected. You know, the kind of sort of thing about being an architect and a member of the RIBA is that is that sort of trusted and safe pair of hands. Mm -hmm. 
um, kind of rigorously trained and and um, so yeah, a really safe pair of hands, I guess, and just this trustworthy person. Are you working on many projects abroad, or do you is most of your work in in the UK? Um, so working, uh, yeah, working um, in the UK and Europe. Mm. Uh, personally, I yeah, I'm about to start a project a bit further afield that I can't talk about. But yeah, okay. the, the office um, as an office, we we work you're in the UK in, and Europe. And then yeah, we do a lot of work across Africa, which is oh, a kind okay. of um, conscious move in that um, most of Africa is kind of on the same timeline as Europe. So there's no like yes jet lag traveling and that kind of mm. those mm. kind of issues. Um, but yes, yeah. The preconception of, of design when there are challenges, it's like, oh no, the colour's wrong, this, that, and the other. But architect- I mean, that's wrong, obviously, because there are a lot more mm. challenges than that. Um, just to put that out there. But architecture, like, if something's wrong, that's like loads of money being thrown at it and it's significantly wrong and the foundations of the whole project are wrong. Are the challenges always the same or do you fall into different challenges every project? No. Every step of the I way? Think, yeah. There different stages with the project obviously the challenge is always different i mean i haven't come across one where the where the foundations are wrong and you know touchwood uh, <laughs> touchwood not going to happen but yeah no i think i was actually saying to some colleagues and i say it a lot you know the, the, i think the skill of of being a great designer is reacting and being a brilliant problem solver um and and you know i think if if problems didn't come up along the way, then we wouldn't have a role in construction because you'd almost just say to a contractor, "Well, there's the information, mm. off you go." But actually, we have a we have a very involved role all the way through a construction project because things don't, inevitably don't turn out quite like we thought they were going to. Mm. So, and, and and you know, sometimes it's sometimes there's time to stop and think about the best possible outcome. But sometimes you're on site and there's a contractor Decision standing there and made. you're doing a sketch on the wall mm. and saying, "Well, let's do this mm. Mm. Um, to get." get out of the get away from the problem and, and move on because yeah. inevitably things you know it's, it's that's probably stopping a load of other things happening so mm-hmm. so yeah like you say the, the the cost of a of a insignificant problem can can spiral and become yeah. something i can imagine yeah. those conversations must just be quite difficult to have with clients as well when you've got to explain to them there's I think maybe costs, but also challenges that they have. Yeah, you have to you have to um, manage expectations from the start, and if it depends on whether they're educated in the design in the in the process of building something or refurbishing something. If they've done it before, they kind of get what might happen. It's never going to be the same problem, but there will be problems along the way. Whereas I think some clients think it's a smooth, it's a linear path, and it's not a linear path at all. No, not at all. I think it's really important to take them on the journey with you, Mm. so that you know they they. They understand the implications, and quite often, I think you know what we try and always do is, is go with a solution. So you can say, "This is this is the issue. And this is what we're going to do mm. to to kind of mm. drive forward." Mm. Yeah, of course. Mm. One of the projects that I guess you must have been quite early on in your in your career, or maybe midway um, when it was emerging, was uh, the Shangri La London. That was a Dexmarin project, wasn't it? In the Shard. Yeah. Um, what that must have been hugely inspirational to, to be were you part of that project or did you see it? Uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't um, on the team, uh, but yeah, aware of it. You know, because I remember that was one of our first projects that I sort of touched as a journalist within this industry, and just remember thinking, "Wow, gosh, that's mind blowing." <laughs> yeah, an amazing project as well. Given that you know that, that building's tapering, and so every single room is different. You know, as as architects, we we obviously you know draw hundreds of things but in that instance you've got to draw every single room because you know so and set out absolutely everything. everything yeah you normally you need know, to work on kind of a room type basis but yeah, 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 in, in yeah, that, yeah 
in that Nothing. room. No two, see that one from afar. no two projects the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, definitely. Imagine putting it fit out the FFNE. That was a nightmare. Wow. What other landmark projects has uh, Tex Moren Associates unveiled that maybe you've been a part of that it's massively inspired you to... Um, continue your journey with them yeah so before the western i um led the delivery of uh hilton london bankside mm-hmm. which is um over by the tank modern yeah mm. and at the time that opened in 2015 you know that was such a departure for a brand like hilton yeah, exactly. and they'd put so much trust in us and and the idea about neighborhood story um and at the time you know that people weren't doing you know a building that was firmly rooted in its location like the the Bar there is called the Distillery Bar, and that um, takes its uh, takes its uh, concept from a from an essence factory that was on that site mm. um, in the eighteen hundreds. You know, and and um, what a, you know, fantastic. Do you think that was sort of like the turning point for hotels to really look at their neighbourhoods? Certainly in London. I mean, mm. London is built of like loads of different villages coming together, really, isn't it? And we can really celebrate those pockets of, of London when, when we're looking at design. But I don't think up until then that many hotels really sort of grabs that as, as an opportunity no definitely not uh, and i think you know that that thing people became you know people want to stay somewhere and feel like they're staying there you know that kind of cookie cutter hotel room mm. oh i'm in a hilton or i'm in a mm. intercon you know that you that's that's all moved on i think we left that that quite a long while ago mm. now yeah yeah. The idea from, I remember when I was working uh, for Richmond International years ago and Marriott needed you to know that wherever you were in the world, you, was, you were in a Marriott room, red, green and yellow. That was yeah. the, only, the only sanctioned <laughs> colours. <laughs> it seems so alien that now. It seems like, so alien that now. And, th- and that was an idea of homeliness and comfort and security to a guest that they would feel that they were secure within the brand because they knew exactly where, you know. On paper it makes on sense. On paper it makes yeah. sense. But actually the, re- the reality of it is that you want to – I think we're more curious as travellers and as mm. even as business people when you go to a – you travel abroad for even for work, you actually want to try and capture some of where you are as well rather than just being another hotel room yeah. for another couple of days and then moving on there's much more Definitely. curiosity about the world and no like you say you want to experience that yeah. place don't you and, and you know it is about experience it's even if you're there for 24 hours and yeah. you're just you're within a room the whole time yeah you still you want, want to know to... a little more about the context within which you're in yeah yeah for yeah. sure yeah. how um what are the conversations around sustainability that you're having at the moment and i say this because we had a guest on the the podcast recently mm. um, who harriet and i were pretty blown away by um and she was talking about the, the idea of, well, going past recycle and actually going into reuse and even to, as far as talking about material passports and to really understand the, the journey of materials. Is mm. that, would you say, a realistic step forward for architecture and hospitality? Or is it, are we a little, um, are we not quite there? Yet? I think we're moving towards it. I think, um, you know, without question, sustainability is, is the hottest topic right now we're discussing it, and rightly so. I think... Um, with kind of reuse, you know, reuse of buildings, we'll always, you know, if we've got an existing building, we'll always kind of look at it and say, can we make use of this? Mm-hmm. You know, whereas 10 years ago, you'd say, oh, let's demolish this and start again. Um, whether materials, I, you know, I think, yeah, that wouldn't that be amazing? Um, I think, I think, um, I think the kind of industry needs to, needs to look at it kind of oh, globally and holistically i think you know sustainability in architecture shouldn't just be about you know the materials although important it shouldn't just be about how it's built but it should be about you know 
we as designers, how we go to places, you know, that, that's important. How, where we buy our energy, you know, there's, there's so many facets to sustainability. I think, um, I think, you know, yeah, like I say, we need to, uh, we need to look at the whole thing. Do you yeah. think clients are getting more on board with asking questions, like on board with looking at alternatives, whereas previously they weren't maybe? Definitely. I think an ESG and kind of sustainability is, is current buzzword and, and clients, yeah, definitely suddenly a lot of our clients are a lot more interested. Are they um, truly interested or do they feel they ought to be interested, do you think? I suppose there's an element of thinking they ought to be interested, but mm. through that process, hopefully they become educated to the fact that they need to they need to become mm. really interested mm. and take it really seriously. And that it matters to the people they're selling hotel rooms to. Yeah. Because I think some people it does, some people it doesn't. I mean, sadly, it ought to, but it, it won't. Not everybody's going to buy into it. So mm. not everyone's going to buy into a hotel room just because they know that the sink can be demounted and resold for pub, public housing later on. It should almost just be just like a... How we do a, things. Or, or just like a... A secondary story to the one that we really should be like we should really be celebrating the design and actually just inherently it should be sustainable i can't mm, wait to get to that point yeah. in Gosh, our industry how long do you where think that will take well because it's so expensive to do the alternative mm. so there's no real incentive from, from years, a business person's mind 50 years even longer i don't i don't it's always it going to be an ongoing unless unless the the materials become more accessible for designers mm. and architects to be able to specify without there even being a question about it it's very difficult mm. not to have that conversation. Would there but ever it, be a scenario where you build a building with, I mean, we see, we see, say, office buildings being turned into residential and sometimes vice versa in hotels and whatever, different uses or mixed-use buildings being, being built. Do you think there's ever going to be a scenario where you will build a building, its skeleton will be built with that forethought that maybe down the line, if things change, it has the structure within it to be able to change it for a different use? Or? Yeah, definitely. So... Um... I can't remember which one, but one of the, we, a lot of our projects are Briam projects, um, and one of the credits in the current Briam um, exercise accreditation is is kind of reuse. Mm. So, as part of awarding that credit, we have to kind of do some work to prove that those buildings can be reused. So, there's a bit of a thought about it. You know, obviously with a hotel, you know, it's got quite a rigid structural column grid mm. for, for guest rooms to fit within. But then, you know, we do a whole not, another exercise to kind of work out how we could reuse reuse the, the concrete frame for example yeah um and the, you know keeping the envelope we yeah. had um jason bradbury on the podcast very early on in, in our journey um and he was talking about the 24-hour house so the whole like 3d printing element how mm. advanced 3d printing is becoming how mm. soon or even maybe we can do this already i don't know um you know we'll just be able to just print a, a house and it can just be that do you worry about the quality being lost in regards to like the consideration being spent on materials and the foundations and it being built and that, that process being changed into something that's actually very quick and easy to just churn out? Kind of goes against all of what we're talking about sustainability mm. and consciousness and um, being considered in our in our design approaches. Yeah, I suppose it's about that material, isn't it? Of of like how you would three D print something. If that can be reused and broken down, then then yeah, it kind of speeds up. Speeds up that process. I think the fit out, but maybe not the actual structure. No, of course, but But like fit out. I mean, in the way that 
pod bathrooms were a big thing, yeah. you know, a few couple of decades ago. I think they still do them now sometimes, actually. Um, you could print a pod bathroom, mm. but I think then you you print the uh, the you print the sort of the fit the out shell, skeleton yeah. Yeah. shell, yeah. which could be made of a material that is recyclable. I suppose the next question is, what are you going to hang on that shell then? Mm. Because you want you need to put tiles and sanitary wear and all yeah. that. Sort it's of just thing. funny in my head because there's like two narratives. The one that's sort of saying that you know we should be really sort of thoughtful and meaningful around every decision but then technology is advancing so quickly that it's allowing us to just move so quickly mm. and it's it's interesting how for us i guess that be. allows us to kind of test ideas yeah totally, you know which yeah. is great you know in a real 3d form you can you can really quickly get under yeah. the skin yeah. of what something looks like and what it feels like because you can really see a prototype in a small scale yeah but I, and i guess yeah I, I you know i think we like to have all the control right so <laughs> I, I guess saying oh you can you can build all this stuff really quickly um, you know that scares me a bit, but but I guess that will come. Could you print three D? Could you print models though? And so instead of actually building models out of foam board or whatever they build them out of, I mean they're beautiful things themselves. Could you just print the print the thing? Uh, yeah. Basically, you fed the CAD drawings into the into the um, into the machine. Yeah. Three D printer. Yeah. Three D printer. Thank you. <laughs> and and there's a little man within it. Does the yeah. Work. <laughs> <laughs> little man turning a wheel inside. Model making machine. Yeah, exactly. Outspurts. <laughs> Block. <laughs> a hotel block. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, I guess like th you know, simple three D forms. We have a three D printer in the office, yeah, um, and a full time yeah. model maker. So yeah, you can test. Really, you can really test an idea. To also yeah. see the local vernacular, how that building would work. Because I've been to some design studios recently, and they've got exactly that set up. Mm. And actually, for them, it's just like they can just see exactly where it would would fit within the local mm. um, landscape to see where the challenges are in regards to all sorts of things. Really. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think yes, yeah. a lot of things. Yeah, that, that yeah. idea of testing, I think, is is really important. Where do you think we'll be in like five years from now? How how much things have changed in five years? Like, yeah, I think I suppose I suppose we're going the way of VR, aren't we? So everyone mm. will, you know, you'll invite everyone. I guess either you will come to a studio and do it, or or you'll do it in your own home. Put on mm. your VR headset, and we'll walk you through the hotel and go. Ah, oh, you know. Check out these bits. Yeah, and, and I think that's definitely the way it's going to be. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the scent, you know, yeah, send yeah, someone. But in that, you know, that that you could do all those kind of things, couldn't you? Send send them the drink they're going to have and mm -hmm. and a little atomizer with a, with the scent of the hotel, and you know, really get people under the skin of it. Yeah, You're exactly. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, I think yeah. that's the way we're going to be going. For sure. Yeah. From um, Dex Marin Associates point of view how much has changed since the pandemic in regards to how you're all working um are, are you back in the studio now i mean we're a few months out of we're kind of i, I suppose terrible parts of covid i guess we'd call it flexible working so yeah. um yeah i think you know for us the important thing about being together is that kind of collaboration and, and the camaraderie that you get from mm. from working um working together um you know a, a lot has changed you know i think the kind of flexible working thing probably pre-COVID was a way off, um, but uh, COVID pandemic has totally accelerated. Um, yeah, accelerated Changes that process. That happen, yeah, and I think, you know, I think it is really important, that balance. You know, I think, as I've said, the office is that place of collaboration. And I think everyone mostly now has, has kind of set up a dedicated workspace at home and home is that place where you get your head down and, and churn out the information when you need to. Mm. Um, and you kind of cut out all that travel time. Mm. I think we've also discovered that you don't always need to travel. You know, we used to travel to a meeting for a project that, you know, yeah. we didn't need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, exactly. and now... yeah. 
Yeah, I think especially, I think if the team's already met a few times already and there is a rapport established, then you can, that can be recreated over Zoom quite comfortably. Yeah. I think the difficulty is when you have, a, I started a project and we had an initial pre-contract meeting and none of the consultants knew each other. And it just, we haven't quite got that. But we also, haven't got that little bit of banter. It is the rapport, isn't it? That we, we, we did yeah. so many roundtables over lockdown, as you know. And there's the amount of people that came up to me at, a, at an event like Hicks, for example, and was like, oh my God, how are you? And I didn't recognise them because, and I realised very quickly, well, everyone I didn't recognise is the people that I've been on virtual um, calls with mm. and met them for the first time virtually, as opposed to like seeing them physically in the flesh. And mm. it's just so, to me, it made me realise how important it is, how much of a rapport you you get from someone. Mm. I mean, this interview would be over a Zoom call and be over in 40 minutes. And if mm. we didn't know you before, then, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to create well, any more atmosphere. Exactly. And the, the whole thing about, you know, that we pick up cues from each other, it's the non-spoken that's so important. So much more of what, yeah. what is understood is about the non-spoken rather than the spoken. Exactly. How on earth do you really get the glue together of a team of people without having that to start off with. No, it's very difficult. I think it's difficult, especially in our, in our industry where we're being creative, we spark off each other, we need to touch and feel things. Yeah. You know, I have a client who was working, I had two clients working over Zoom over the worst parts of the pandemic. One was very successful because they were quite visually literate and even though they were in LA, we were doing a project in, they were Turkish living in, it had got stuck in LA, we were doing a project for them in London, but they were kind of, okay with holding stuff up and they could they went to showrooms in LA and it was fine okay but there I had one other client who just constantly couldn't get it that when I held a sample up to this camera <laughs> and in on his screen it went blue oh, wow. the thing was green uh, and he just could not get it wow and it's just so difficult isn't you it? know you just where do you go with that you mm. can't there's nowhere to go I, really. I sort of feel really grateful that it's 2000 you know well it started in 2020 but at least it's not like 2005 mm. where where we didn't have like camera phones and, yes, and zoom yeah. and all that technology you know the the technology but it's advanced so much yeah mm. even zoom i mean like all the technology was sort of there it just needed something to sort of latch onto in order for it to be relevant So we're coming to the end of the interview because we've run out of time, as always. We've got a quick fire round for you. So my first question really is, if you were to retrain now, what what would you do? Or, or what did you want to be when you were younger? Was it always to be an architect? Um, yeah, I always wanted to be an architect, um, funnily enough. But having done what I've done, and it's a question I ask myself a lot, I, th <laughs> I, I would want some kind of hospitality business, funnily oh, enough. Okay. You know, okay. to, to swap sides and mm. to be the one, you know, yeah, making all the decisions. Yeah. Uh, okay. Or more of the decisions. Yeah, yeah would be great. Yeah. Um, mine is what material do you love using the most and what material do you shudder at when you see somebody saying they must include it in their project or it's something that's um, there that you can't get rid of? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. Uh, I think um, one I like using the most, I think, you know, brick, I think is great, you know. We, we moved away from brick for ages and ages and it's come back more recently and there's some fantastic brick buildings. You know, London's a, a great example of, of them. I think, you know, it's super versatile and people are really pushing the pushing what you can do in brick. It's not just a, you know, not just brick walls mm -hmm. now. Um, and what do I, uh, I, I don't know, I shudder when I see something. Yeah, oh I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, that's probably exactly it. And I, yeah, I've just been trying to buy a house, and so many houses you walk in, you go, God, oh, oh, Artex, no, no, Artex ceilings. Terrible, you know how difficult it is to get to off. To get off, yeah. <laughs> mm. 
Yes, definitely yeah. Artex. Okay. <laughs> very good answer. Even though you answered your own question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> What's the last item that will show up on your credit card statement? Um, yeah, probably a meal in a restaurant or you know, or dr drinks in the pub, probably. Uh, I think uh, something celebratory. Yeah, I think you know London is the is you know hospitality scene mm. best in the world. Like mm. I think uh, yeah, very grateful to be working in it and and living it. Mm. Brilliant. And my final one is, are you a pencil man or are you a mouse man? Oh, I think pencil or, or a pen, definitely. You know, mm. everything starts with a sketch and a lot of buildings, as I said earlier, finish with a with a sketch on the wall because mm. you're uh, you're trying to work out an issue. Yeah. yeah definitely, <laughs> definitely drawing. Yeah. 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 Good. Good. Yeah. Thank great. you so much. Thank Ed. you, Ed. Oh, my pleasure. Really great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Boo. So, Hamish, that was great to hear from a London architect, London-based architect, about projects that he'd been doing here, totally. his journey within his studio. And a young architect yeah. as well, who's, yeah, yeah. Um, who's obviously climbed the ranks. And yeah. it's just interesting to me because studio life, I mean, for him, he must have developed within um, Dexter Moran Associates seeing all these projects come to life and mm. so there's so much inspiration within those four walls really mm. Mm. um it does sort of sh shine to me how how valuable that that kind of experience is within mm. studio life and yeah yeah you must think as, as well like within your career mm. with, with the, um, at richmond international that mm. must have really shaped well what i you yeah to do and richmond wasn't not. the first design company i worked for you know as a des young design assistant i went to work for us um somebody who was working for Trust House Forte. Mm. And, um, you know, a bit like Ed, you know, I finished my my um, design education and then went to work in a company that happened to be doing hospitality. Mm. And that's where I ended up, um, you know, for many years of my life working in hospitality yeah. and um, have continued to do so, but obviously have brought in residential into the into my skill set as well. So it is um, interesting where you get landed and yeah. see what you then do with that. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting for me as well is that we're, we're all in design, architecture, hospitality to some extent mm. um, in, in the same arena. But one thing that is the common denominator for us all is that we really enjoy hospitality mm -hmm. and really thrive with hospitality mm. it was really interesting to hear him say that he wanted to go into his own hospitality venture if yeah he could you know like yeah. that's i think that's really like you need that passion in this industry to keep definitely i think that was testament to the success of the d direction that he fell into because you know to see it be able to appreciate and see it from both sides to the point where you'd be happy to actually do it from the other side is is quite uh is quite uh admirable actually totally yeah. So our next episode is with Simon Kincaid, mm. who is a partner of uh, Conran and Partners, mm -hmm. obviously huge legacy to uphold mm. um, following um, the passing of Sir Terence Conran. So mm. we're going to speak to um, Simon all about studio life, but also um, really understanding different projects as well as like there's, there's a big, big preconception with, with Conran and Partners with it being steered towards luxury. And that actually mm. isn't the case at all. And it'd be mm. interesting to hear how his mindset changes from project to project. Mm, mm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Very much. <laughs>